Welcome, everybody, to Encounter Church. We're glad to be together in this way. Hey, my name is Derek, a lead pastor here at Encounter Church. We're in part two of a series right now called In My Feelings and What to Do About It. And so last week, we kicked off the feelings, uh, talking about anger. Today, we move on to a heavier one. We move on uh, to the feeling and the very real experience of depression. I just kind of want to lead with, like, right off the gate that, uh, like, I understand I have a degree in psychology and undergrad, and I, and, I, and I understand there's a lot of causes and a lot of facets to this one. So we just want to acknowledge that uh, when we talk about depression, there's a chemical thing there. There's, like, a, there's a, a social and a physiological, biological, and spiritual, like, a way of, uh, of addressing this. And, and God created us as as one person. So it's impossible to like separate out the different parts of like who I, who, who I am. It's impossible to separate the, the social part of me from the biological, chemical, from the spiritual nature that I have, right? So like God created us all as one. And just like as an example of that, um, my, uh, I was on a trip. I was, uh, I was checking out, doing a little, little like foot hiking through New York City, lower Manhattan, in fact, and I was uh, doing a little sightseeing with a person who will remain nameless, especially because I have to be careful here. Our anniversary is coming up a little later this week. But uh, we're walking through, and I'm trying to get to Lower Manhattan, the, the stock exchange, to see like the big bronze, you know, the charging bull. Except for my uh, navigation partner, it isn't going so well. So I'd kind of like steer down one way, and the GPS is like, hey, wrong way, turn around. And this happened a few times. And she started getting a little, a little agitated, a little frustrated. And I don't, I don't blame her for that at all. But eventually she just like blurts out, can we just forget about seeing the dumb cow anyway? And I'm like, listen, honey, I, I know what you need. I know what your soul needs right now. It's a slice of pizza. That's all it is. Like the thick, like Chicago style, you know, pizza casserole would be preferred, but a New York cardboard slice, like that'll do in a pinch. And I'm struck with the wonders that can be accomplished in, in terms of achieving, gaining Christian maturity with just a slice of pizza. And to be fair, this happens to me just about like every Sunday afternoon. I just got to get agitated and I get a little restless, you know, and, I just, and my wife points out to me, she's like, I think, I think what you need to do is just lay down for a little bit and, and take a rest. And I'm like, no, no, it's not my it's not, it's not my problem. It's the world's problem. The world could just fix. And she's like, Dirk, I'm, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you, your soul needs to take a nap right now. Go lie down. I, I get it. So we're all, we're like one, we're one body. We're one unit. So when we talk about depression this morning, listen, there's all kinds of ways to address this. There's all kinds of ways to get into this. And we're going we're gonna to look at like the spiritual element of that this morning. But if you've had a concern at any point, at any time, like maybe, maybe you're slipping into not just despair, but on into depression, I want you to reach out. We have, a, we have people uh, standing by right now waiting to respond to you at help at encounterchurch.org. We have some fantastic resources that are available to you. Um, they would love to hear, and they're ready to reply to you live right now within a couple of minutes even with some of those resources that I have benefited from personally and have journeyed through with others here in our church community as well. Help at encounterchurch.org. I do want to acknowledge this morning that... Uh, uh, d depression, despair ahead of it. Um, this is equal opportunity, that we are all susceptible to it and nobody is exempt from it. Where it begins, I think, this is where maybe a lot of us are, it begins with that moment of discouragement. Now, this could be like an altogether moment. 
I'm thinking of a, a student athlete who lines up in the halls of his or her school, just waiting to get called into the coach's office where the coaching staff is like there letting them know that you either made it on, welcome to the team, or not. But you're not concerned because you've never not made the team in your entire life. Except for this time, when you walk into the coaching staff offices, the faces around are not jovial, they're not smiling, they're not laughing. They're somber. And they look at you and say, I'm sorry. I can see that you worked incredibly hard, but like, we just don't have a spot for you this year. If you continue to work hard and develop maybe in these areas, we might have a spot for you next time. But it's like, it's like a part of your identity has just got like stripped away. It's discouragement that builds into despair that might blossom into depression a little bit later on. Maybe it's not like all at once with like one conversation like that. Maybe it's more like death by a thousand cuts or maybe a thousand emails or letters. Dear so-and-so, thank you so, uh, so much for taking the time to apply. We appreciate the opportunity to get to know you more and review your materials. I'm sorry, but there's just not a position available for you at this time. If circumstances change, we'll contact you. And it wouldn't hurt if it just happened once or twice or one or two dozen times. But listen, like as it keeps happening, discouragement builds up to despair and blossoms into depression. And nobody is exempt from it. It's like this. It's like this suffocating darkness crowds around. And the worst part of it isn't, isn't being told no or isn't the challenge to your identity, the worst part is at some point, you start to lose hope that things are ever going to be different again. And so when the darkness crowds around, when the suffocating happens, when you're in that moment, I would love very much for our church community to be the kind of church community that comes into the book of the Bible known as Lamentations to hear more about who God is and the words that we can use. Uh, just a, a note about Lamentations as we jump into it this morning. It's a little-known book. It's written by the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Jeremiah is much better known. It's huge, lots of chapters. Chances are, you, you know, a, a bunch of times you open up the Bible, you'll fall to Jeremiah. Lamentations, not so much. It's five chapters long, beautifully written. Five chapters, and they... They have a symmetry to them, a poetry to them. Each chapter is 22 verses. Each verse begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, 22 letters in all. Again, it's beautifully done. Chapter three, where we're gonna camp out, each letter has three verses assigned to it because it's like, it's the apex. It's like the cornerstone, the keystone of the book of Lamentations. By the end of the chapter, when you start to expect some kind of resolution and resolving, instead, Jeremiah, the author, he, he pivots and he changes it. And instead, he still has 22 verses, but they don't follow the acrostic for the Hebrew alphabet anymore. It's like he just allows his poetry to fall into freeform, to fall into utter chaos. And then it ends. I think, honestly, if the year 2020 was a book of the Bible, it would be Lamentations. You just don't know what's coming up next. And just when you think you're going to get your bearings straight and your, your, your COVID legs under you, it just descends into utter chaos one more time. This is Lamentations. 
And so what I'd like to do is turn there uh, to go to Lamentations chapter 3. Uh, the words are going to be a screen behind me and also um, the words below. It's starting off in verse 1 of chapter 3, Lamentations. Jeremiah writes, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He, he has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. So a couple comments on that. When he says, he has driven me away, the language that he's using is driven away, like, like with whips, right? Scourging them, driving me out of Jerusalem. Because oftentimes what happens in the Bible, the history kind of overview is that the Babylonian empire came in, the Babylonian armies came in and just destroyed, utterly decimated, obliterated the southern kingdom, Jerusalem and the surrounding areas of Israel and carted them off into exile. And so about that though, is that oftentimes as Christians, we follow the exiles. You guys know the story of maybe Daniel, um, the Daniel diet in Daniel chapter one, uh, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Right? We follow the lens, kind of follows the people in exile. Jeremiah in Lamentations follows what happens to the people left over? What happens to the people left in Jerusalem that's now just rubble? What about, what about us? And he asks, makes this comment, driven away, made me walk in darkness. There's that, that suffocating darkness rather than light. Um, years ago now, uh, he wrote a memoir, Ernest Shackleton, which sounds like a made-up name. I'm going to grant you that one, but it's not. He's a real person. He's an explorer. And he sought to be the very first person uh, to cross the continent of Antarctica on foot. And so the plan was pretty simple. He's going to sail with his, uh, with his guys uh, as far south as he could. Uh, and, then, and then when he couldn't go any further, he'd uh, disembark the ship and he would march across the continent on foot and get on a different ship to take him home. What Shackleton experienced is that as he sailed in, an early frost, an early freeze set in, and he couldn't get within 100 uh, miles of where he had hoped to be. And the temperatures just continue to plummet. It slowed them down. They disembarked thinking they could make it. They were in the middle of winter in Antarctica and realized they could not press on. They had to camp there for the winter. They just stuck. And in his memoirs, he writes about this. He goes, the worst part about the experience, it, it wasn't the biting cold. It wasn't even the threat of starvation. The worst part about the experience is that in Antarctica, winter is like June, July, and August. The sun sets in May, and you will not see daylight again until mid-August. Suffocating darkness is what Jeremiah is experiencing. Verse 3, indeed, Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. I just want you, church, to pay attention to who, who the he is in the story. Because now, as he writes, he's up to his armpits in the mud in despair, and he's now looking up and saying, God. Verse 4, he has made my skin and flesh grow old and has broken my bones, he has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me 
dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I cry out, call out for help, he shuts out my prayer. He's looking up at God and he's going, are you behind this? Are you the one? Because you've either caused this to happen or in in your infinite power, you've just allowed it to happen. And honestly, I don't know what the difference is at that point. I guess I just, I want us to see as a community, I want us to read something like Lamentations, like, like these difficult words. And I want you to just hear that you have in Jeremiah somebody who understands what it is that you're going through, or at least he would. He has. And I want to be honest, I want to be real with you and say your friends that you're talking to and texting up to 3 a.m. in the morning and that you don't think that they understand, they probably don't understand, but Jeremiah does. Your parents might not understand, Jeremiah does. Your spouse, your husband, your wife, your roommate, they might not understand what you're going through, but you have a person in Jeremiah who gets it. He's been there. See, oftentimes we think like real Christians, we shouldn't think that way, right? Like real Christians, we should turn on we should turn on family-friendly, commercial-free WCSG, right? And we should, we should listen to some encouraging thing. And like, if it makes me sad, it's bad. And I should run away from that. Jeremiah cuts the opposite. He zigs where, where others would expect to zag. And he goes just down deeper into that hole. Real Christians shouldn't think that way. Think about, um, think about Charles Spurgeon. Great, uh, one of probably most influential uh, one of the most influential preachers, theologians uh, of uh, the last couple hundred years. A Spurgeon, before the internet and even electricity at the time, had a church as a 15,000 people that he's preaching to. And he stood behind his pulpit one day and he broadcasts out to everybody watching it and paying attention. He goes, I have spent more days shut up in depression than anybody here. Christians shouldn't think that way. Spurgeon thought that way. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 1500s, if you know somebody who comes from a Lutheran background, that would, that would be a follower of him. Martin Luther calls out and says, I have spent seasons, days, weeks, and months of my life not thinking anything of Christ, only despair and only blasphemy. God help me. Christians shouldn't think like that. Jeremiah understands. He empathizes, and he goes down deeper into the hole in verse 9. He says, he, God, he has barred my way with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked like a, like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding. How, how's that for an image? Is this your favorite image of God? Maybe doting father scooping up his children? No, like a bear waiting to maul you. He dragged me from the path and mangled me, left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my hearts with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mocked me in song all day long. They even called him a traitor for all of his bad news he kept bringing. Verse 15, he's filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink, a, a disgusting bitter wine mixture. He's broken my teeth with gravel. He's trampled me in the dust. I've been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well 
remember them and my soul is downcast within me. I want to ask, like, this is Bible? Like, this made it in? I mean, Christianity, we, we're kind of unique in this way. We don't have like somebody who just sat down and got a word from God and like wrote the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, closed it and said, that's it. It's done. What we have in Christianity is a collection of authors is that God is inspiring. God is bringing the biblical authors along, but from like hundreds and over thousands of years, even from the time of the patriarchs, in the tribes of Israel up through historically in the Roman Empire times, this huge time gap. It's like this collection of works that we believe is inspired by God's Holy Spirit and true and trustworthy. It's like, God, you, in your edited works of like what becomes Bible, like God, you could have edited that out. At some point, they're gonna set this up on a shelf on a Christian bookstore and people are gonna have to choose to buy it. This stuff doesn't really sell. I mean, the, the lion lying down with the lamb, that'll sell, right? Cups overflowing, sure. Even the kind of provocative stuff in Song of Songs, like that's interesting, that might sell. One prophet's poetic rage against God. I don't know, maybe we could have just left this one out. I think oftentimes we think that because we mistake, we make the mistake of thinking that, that God delivered some of the most uh, powerful and well-known Christians. We make the mistake of thinking that God delivered them from their own pain and misery. And so if you're experiencing pain and ministry today, we think we think that that's a mistake, that God is going to deliver you from that. You shouldn't be experiencing that. But no, the truth is that God didn't deliver them from their pain and ministry, that God delivered them through their pain and ministry, that those are the, the forging fires that God uses to create faith, unshakable faith inside of you, inside of all of us. And so there's an element where we look at this and we say, like, God isn't a, a bear waiting to, to maul you. He's, he's, he doesn't have his, his bow, like, like, targeting you, ready to shoot arrows at you. But that's accurate insofar as it captures the human experience that Jeremiah is experiencing in that moment. It's like, that's how I feel. And if you're looking to, like, draw like, an arrow or something like that in the margin of your Bible to take, take notes, it was that, that like, Faith begins in honesty. Is that an honest faith is an honest moment is required to have faith. Faith begins in honesty, but it does not end there. I would like to introduce you to one of, I think, is the top five most hopeful transitions in the entire Bible, cover to cover. And that is the transition from verse 20, which we just wrapped up on, to transitioning now into verse 21, where he says, yet, yet I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Yet I am choosing to bring the goodness of, of God to the front of my mind, even when I don't feel it. I am choosing to call to mind the goodness of God. If I have one encourage, encouragement of you, one thing to ask of you on into this week, 
it would simply be that. Call to mind the goodness of God. When your discouragement begins to build into despair and that despair blossoms into depression, call to mind the goodness of God. That's what Jeremiah does here. Verse 22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. I mentioned, uh, I mentioned Luther, uh, Martin Luther earlier, and, uh, and this calling to mind the goodness of God that he was known to go into an empty room, into an empty classroom at the university to lock the door behind him. And I think we could all take a note from his playbook. And he would rant and he would, he would rage. He would say, no, 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 no. Regardless of what I'm sensing, what I, regardless of what I'm feeling in this moment, he said, I have not been abandoned. I have not been forsaken. The Bible tells me so. And Jesus' death, proves it so. I have not been abandoned, nor have I been forsaken. Martin Luther, I wonder what it looks like for us to do the same thing. If you need to like go into a room by yourself, maybe wherever you are right now, shut the door so nobody can hear you and think you're a little off your rocker. Just go in there, have some time, and talk to yourself. I read earlier that you're, um, the most influential person in your life is you. <laughs> because you talk to yourself more than anybody else does. So talk to yourself and say this. Talk to yourself and remind yourself to say, no, no, no. I will not trust my feelings. There's far too little perspective there. I won't trust my feelings. I will trust my faith. I have not been abandoned. I have not been forsaken. When I am looking and searching, for a God who can empathize with my every feeling, even the darkest one, suffocatingly so, I will be reminded that there is a cross that tells me that God cares. And there is an empty grave that reminds me that God can. He will deliver me from this darkness. Light will break. He isn't finished. Yet, yet, my encouragement for you is just simply that. When the despair and depression set in, call to mind the goodness. His mercies are new every morning. His compassion never fails. His faithfulness has never let us down. Some of you are at a place right now, though, where you can look back and you're like, hey, man, it's easy, like, preacher man on stage somewhere. Like, you probably led this great life and haven't ever made any mistakes. I have. And I'm, I'm like, telling you, that's not totally, that's not true. But it might feel that way. And it might feel that something that you've done or something in your past or that was done to you just as breaks you in an, in an unfixable, unredeemable kind of way. Like you're, you're so powerful, you're outside of the grasp of God. And I'm telling you, I think then you need a bigger God. But if you come to that place where you're like, no, 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 God is still punishing me for that thing that I've done or that was done to me. 
for that thing that I believed, God is still, he's still knowing that I deserve what's happening around me. And that's why he's doing it. He's causing it. He's still punishing me. I'm just, I'm gonna ask you, maybe encourage you this week to come back to Lamentations chapter three on your own, in your personal devotion time, in your Bible study, come through this one more time and look through it again and to see if there's somebody who deserves these things to happen. No, no. If there's somebody who didn't deserve these things to happen to him, but they happened anyway, isn't it true that Jesus bore the punishment that should have fallen on us? Like come through Lamentations chapter three again and saying, if there was somebody who was, who was torn apart and mauled as if a bear got to him, wouldn't it have been the body of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? If there was somebody who was made a, verse 14, a laughing stock of all the people who was mocked all day long, wouldn't it be Jesus? If there was somebody who was made to drink a bitter gall wine solution, the cup of God's wrath at the Lord's last supper, wouldn't it be Jesus? Wouldn't it be Jesus, the one who went into the suffocating darkness to bring us back into his wonderful light? We look at these things through the lens of Jesus and we say, he bore all of this, this punishment, so that you don't have to. And when that suffocating darkness blinds you to the fact of what God has in store for you and what God has declared and made you, remember this, you trust your faith, not your feelings. Wonder who you are. Don't follow what your gut says of who you are. Follow who it is that God says you are in his word, child of God. If you're ready to believe that during this last song, we have a prayer table set up in back for those of you who are here. We wanted to get nice and close so you can hear each other to be prayed over. So we set up a Zoom call so you can get, you can get real close. And that Zoom uh, room is open uh, online. A link is in the comment section below. There might be a little wait as you're coming in uh, one by one. It's worth it. Wait, pray with somebody from our team who is ready to remind you who God says you are. Trust your faith, not your feelings. I invite you to stand up. Let's pray together, church. Our gracious God in heaven, Lord, we, um, we recognize uh, that because of some of the mistakes that we've made or the discouragements that we've experienced, that we can feel like the gears slipping. Something is wrong. An indicator light has gone off in our hearts to say this, this part of our life, we need attention here. This needs remedy. It needs redemption. God, for those of you, us especially, who have just been in a season of despair so long that it isn't even about the chronic illness anymore. It isn't even about the school situation or the pandemic shutting in anymore. It's, just, it's about losing hope that things are ever going to get better. God, show us that you're not done yet. That there is still victory yet to come. Your cross shows us that you care. And the empty grave shows us you can. 
Jesus, it's in your resurrected name we pray.